0: here we go. All right, everybody. Well, uh, thanks for hanging in there with those sound issues. Um, let me see here. Today is the 40-something episode of Dojo Universe, and uh, um, which is our free show that we do every week. And, uh, of course, uh, we're sort of showcasing the Dojo U-, U technology, and we have, of course, our online school uh, where we regularly uh, teach and store tons of lessons in our archive and stuff like that, um, and so this is just a wing of that where anyone who wants to can sign in, so thanks for joining us today, and uh, got our illustrious co-host Vin with us. So, uh, what's up this week? Anything good happening in the piping world?
1: Well, I think the, the Eastern season has been kicking off slowly but surely. There's been a couple of contests over the last couple of weeks. I think the Catholic Festival Southern Maryland is this weekend I believe or next weekend maybe
0: yeah Southern Maryland and then the Manchester Nashua sort of indoor competition was this past weekend that's
1: right that's right and then it was the one in Virginia and um I forget the name of the, the town I went to it a couple years ago it was actually very nice in a little private school down there in uh Southern Virginia It's very nice
0: yeah um yeah that's pretty cool I mean uh um Yeah, any news from Nashua? I mean, I think that uh some of our local dojo guys got some prizes. I haven't actually checked in with a couple of them to see how they did. That's good. Uh, but uh and I know uh, I know the bands are out for sort of like an indoor thing. Mm-hmm. Does anyone have any anyone have any news? Anyone play at any Highland games yet this year? Uh I don't see anyone that would necessarily have gone to the Manchester one that's here, but...
1: You <laughs> know, things don't generally pick up. People that usually make May and June their sort of first foray out into the games field. Uh, you know, the April games tend to be a bit early, and, and I think, uh, you know, if it's local enough, I think bands sort of muster their resources together and make it out. But um, it tends to be very, very late until about May or June, I guess
0: yeah well, and Vin, you've been busy practicing all the or and material for George Thomas yes. that you've been up to, and uh
1: busy beaver busy piping yes. beaver
0: <laughs> Yep, Southern Maryland, yes, on the twenty seventh yeah. Cool. well, anyway, so uh today I thought we we could talk a little bit about um some good uh pipe, not necessarily piping reading so much as just um you know are there any good books out there that uh you know we should be reading as musicians and we've touched on it in the past but i thought it would be cool to dedicate an episode towards that and uh you know sort of discuss some of the interesting musical reading that we could do and then i mean y- you seem like you read a lot so i you know i think i could leave some of this <laughs> I think i could leave some of this in your hands i've read like um I've read a few things, which I'll chime in about, but, you know, uh, and then the same goes for you folks out there. What have you read that you consider to be, you know, really musically relevant and, you know, uh, we'll share some, some ideas for things that people could read in order to uh, become better musicians?
1: Yeah. I think, you know, that's I think that's a, a, it's a way of um, it's more of a mindset. We get thinking about music We like, say, oh, what, what books on music should I read? But really, you know, your inspiration is going to come from a lot of different places. You know, so you got to really think about the books that are really going to sort of hit that, you know, that spot that, that's going to help your music in general, but not necessarily music oriented. I mean, one, one, one book that comes to mind for me is is, uh, is a book called Ten Minute Toughness, which is a, a book on more on sports psychology. We've start,
0: and then Maybe. we got to try to we got to try and get some links as we do this, by the way. So ten minute, I can I can while you're talking, I can do some of it. Get, get um, on Amazon here. Yeah, I
1: mean the book, the book itself is really just about more uh, sports psychology mainly, and how to uh, achieve optimal performance. Um, and it's written by a, a, a sports psychologist who's sort of coached a lot of Olympic level athletes and professional athletes, and uh, and, and has come up with this sort of this pattern that all elite athletes sort of follow, um, and that you can follow as well. And it's, and it's all about mainly psyching yourself up so you can be the best perform at your best you know every time out um and it, it's it's really just a sort of a set of techniques and, and things that sort of change your mindset and get you thinking more about um the things that affect your music not necessarily help you play it better you know um the things like you know how to how to deal with nerves how to deal with nervousness uh you know the stress reaction we all get when we go up to the boards um you know how to keep your memory and thoughts clear when you're when you're playing, so so everything is working in your favor. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean it's it's really one one thing in particular he talks about is is uh, coming up with your performance statement before you head out and do your thing. It's basically if you had the person you most admire next to you and you wanted them to whisper something into your ear, what would it be? You know, and and that's it's more or less that, and, it, and basically because it's your <laughs> it's your story. It can be anybody and anything you want it to be. So it should be something good, positive, and something that sort of keeps you grounded and thinking about, you know, what, what, your, what lies ahead of you, you know? So,
0: yeah. So what are some of the things? So, uh, how do I, in 10 minutes, how do I make myself tougher? Cause <laughs> like, you know, a, it is, it's, toughness it's, it's, is like not my strength. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm softy. How do I it's become more, more it's tough?
1: Toughness. It's really is what it is. It's not about being tougher. It's about, Thinking of uh, like that thing, like what, what do you need to psych yourself up to calm yourself down to really sort of give yourself a positive outlook? Um, what are the main things that you need to think about all the time when you're playing? You know, when, whenever you go out and just, say, if you're a baseball player and you go out to bat and batting's your sort of weak spot and you want to prove that, what are the main things that you have to be focused on? Come what up either? with the three things, you know, that you always have to repeat. It's almost like a like a chant that you have to focus on and make sure it happens. Um, so that's one thing. And then these things take literally like maybe one or two minutes to, to do. And then once you're actually in it, the things that you need to sort of um, focus on to ground yourself, like what's going to lie ahead, you know, it's, it goes beyond the sort of visualization kind of techniques that a lot of people talk about. Um, yeah. And
0: I mean, real. there's clearly a lot of that going on. I was watching the, uh, the Masters on Sunday you know, so I I sort of had a chance to sit down and watch that go down. And there definitely seems to be a lot of mental toughness going on there. And definitely, and, and you you say it goes beyond visualization. You know, um, I, I think it, I think visualization is the number one most important thing for, you know, w- as far as what I'm doing as a bagpipe performer. Um, if I can stay focused on you know, on what the tune should look like or what it should sound like. If I could stay focused on sort of how I'm singing it in my head and, uh, you know, that's my main strategy is just stay focused on, mm-hmm. on producing that sound that I want to produce. And then, um, it's very clear when, when people golf, you know, especially, um, uh, what is his name? Jason day or one, he, he ended up, uh, you know, he ended up in third. Um, but, uh, he was clearly, you know, working to visualize each golf shot before he stepped up to the ball, which was kind of interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but,
0: uh, but I digress. I'm not.
1: It goes, you know, if you, if you take that visualization one step further, you know, could, could you visualize the moment where you had your best success? So instead of visualizing what's going to happen at that moment, visualize that really more like state of mind when you achieved your, your best moment. And think about that and duplicating that, not necessarily duplicating the shot. See, for,
0: me, like, for me, though, my best moment is sort of continuous.
1: <laughs> you know, yeah, no, no, so it'd be a little more than 10 minutes, I guess, then, and gearing up for for your performance, then, I guess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I can't remember ever having any bad moments. <laughs>
1: you know, it's, anyway, make that moment that you're out there doing your thing, you know, uh, the best it can be. That's really all it is. You know, and that's that's what we all try to do. And and a lot of things get in the way, right? We all get you know nervous, and we start thinking about what if I make a mistake? What if this happens? What if this happens? Oh no! What if the judge doesn't like that? Oh no! You know, and it's about clearing all that away and really sort of grounding yourself and and into into what you're keeping your mind in the moment. And,
0: yes, you're 100% correct about that for sure. And you know the times that I've run into trouble in performance is when I stop thinking about, you know, the music that I'm ty- trying to produce and start thinking about things that uh, do not help in the current situation. You know, like, gee, this is going really well, right? You know, like, is, as soon as you start thinking about stuff like that, oh, gee, this is going really well, right? That's not a relevant thought to what's going on as you're playing, uh, you know, and you can sort of get lost in that, and then you're thinking, oh, crap, where am I? And then you end up screwing up or making a mistake or – your bagpipe chokes and then you feel like a bit of a dork. Um, Carl never cares what the judge thinks. Yeah. He's <laughs> just there to play the
2: best that, that he girl, can. Carl
1: kicks dirt onto the, 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 the judge's hose before he plays. <laughs>
2: no, right. no. I mean I I, I always respectful, but I, I never care what the judge thinks, at least not when I'm performing. Um, you know, it they're they're paid to be there and to listen and to judge and uh, it's my responsibility to go there and play music. So I don't care if he's not gonna you know like what I'm doing You know it, it at some point. I've made that decision to do it in the way that I am and uh, I'm
0: gonna I'm gonna amend I'm gonna, amend, I'm gonna amend, amend your position
2: on that you're gonna amend my position How so? yes
0: So for I agree. I agree with that statement while I'm playing But I I disagree before and after so so I definitely do care what the judge thinks because uh, the judge can definitely give me feedback that could improve my right. performance. And I, was the other not,
2: thing is, I was not saying afterwards at all. Um, right.
0: And the other thing the judge determines is who wins the contest. And so I definitely care what the judge thinks, but uh, not during the performance at all. And as, as soon as you start caring about that during the performance, you're going to run into oh, trouble. You're,
2: yeah, you're going to be playing the wrong part. I've done that a few times. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. And so – and and uh, you know Reed Maxwell always he, he always spoke you know briefly but brilliantly about that you know it's like you can ad, you can admire how good the performance is uh, you know after you're done when you listen to the to the, the World CD you know uh, but while you're out there at the World's right you're not you're not admiring it you're you're producing it you're making it happen uh, and uh, you know I always I always really sort of like that and and he usually he says that a few times a year which is always you know kind of interesting.
1: You know, Lee, Lee brings up a, a good book, The Inner Game of Music, by Barry Green. Yeah,
0: someone needs it. to tell me more about this book, and and I will find it on Amazon. I mean,
1: it, it's, a, it's a very good book. Um, actually, I would trump that and say that Timothy Galway's book, The Inner Game of Tennis, is a better one, if you want to read something that's going to sort of, it's more along the same lines, but it uses uh, yeah. tennis as its, you know, um, as, its, as its sort of sport. Uh, the intergame music, is more or less, a lot of the techniques he talks about in that book apply to music and musicians and things like it, and mostly orchestral musicians and professional musicians of that sort. Um, but a lot of the same kinds of things, you know, being in the moment, um, you know, uh, grounding yourself and all of that stuff. It's been a while since I read that book. I should read that again. But uh, it was written some time ago.
0: So That's interesting. Same author, different concepts then. Is that, is that what we're dealing with? Exactly so it's a revolutionary program for overcoming self-doubt nervousness and lapses of concentration
1: and that's really what it comes down I think you know we, we, you know as a musician you, you're you know we got a lot to remember no matter what you're doing and you know if you want to do produce something really good you have to you have a lot to think about so you know how do you uh, apply you know everything toward that end as opposed to like worrying about you know, as as you know, say, if you were a cello player, you know, you've got a lot of body things going on. You've got uh, arm movements, you've got finger movements, you've got sort of your, your position in the seat, that kind of thing, all these things that can work against you sometimes. Um, and, uh, you know, how do you get past that, retain your concentration and focus. Um.
0: Interesting. All right, so Tom says, my amazing find is Zen guitar. All right, let's find that one.
1: I think and I have that one actually upstairs in my room. I thought it was I thought it was okay. I think I read it all.
0: Zen guitar.
1: Zen guitar. Oh, well, the interesting
0: thing is that, that a lot one. of these
1: a lot of these kinds of books, you know, you know, you can put Zen blank <laughs> and write the same book, and uh, and it's all it all applies. It's just a matter of sort of inserting your your activity of choice in place of whatever is being. Um,
0: then it's sort of universal, isn't it? So uh, I think that's what's interesting about it. And that's what's so intriguing about the general concept is sort of how how universally it applies. And, and yeah, metaphor is really, really big. I mean, metaphor is, um, you know, how we navigate most of the aspects of our life, you know, it's, we're, we're drawing um, similarities and differences between other things that we're familiar with, in order to gain expertise.
1: Speaking, you know, which I, I have this. I pulled this out of my out of my bookshelf. This is Zen in the Art of Archery, which is a short thing, and it literally is 90 pages, <laughs> and it's deals with the same kinds of things. This guy is written in the 1950s, I think, and some guy, you know, always interested in sort of eastern, you know, eastern religions, and sort of went out and and learned archery from the Zen masters out in Japan, and uh, it's just about that kind of thing, like all the things that they're teaching him as this sort of outsider coming in, thinking about focus and letting go and literally and figuratively, right?
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's, pretty good. It's all very interesting. I see what you did there. That was a good little uh, good little thing there. <laughs> um, Carl's laughing at you, but he turned his microphone off. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, laughing at you or with you? I'm not quite sure. You'll have to ask him. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, ten
1: minutes. Really
0: good. I think I'm going to come in. It's 1222 now. So I'm going to come in with my pretty much the only book that I've read on music, um, uh, probably ever. And that includes my music degree. You know, I never really did any of the readings, but well, we had to read, we had to read stupid junk like Nietzsche and all those extremely irrelevant uh philosophers. Um, but, uh, Best, best book I've ever read on mu- music is uh, The Music Lesson by Victor Wooten, as many of you already know. Um, which I'm there? You have
1: uh, 31 guests. It's got to be somebody who's read it. This
0: it's, one. it's simply the most important thing you'll ever read. Um, and it teaches us the truth about bagpiping, um, which is uh, even though, I mean, Victor Wooten is a bass player, but it doesn't matter. It's a s- single most important thing um, you can experience. Excellent. Um, That's as a music, say, really. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, you know, uh, when w- one of the interesting things that happened, and I'll, I'll tell a little brief story, was that um, I do play a little bit of uh, snare drum. Right? I, I learned some of the basics um, when um, when Norman Macleod was. Uh, prominently involved in Oren Moore, and he taught me a lot of the basics of snare drumming. But anyway, one year, uh, the first year John Fisher came to Invermark, I was there and, um, you know, I was, able to, uh, I was able to sit in on his master class. Doesn't mean I'm a master snare drummer, but I sat in on it um, and just got to hear him lecture. And, and this was one of his, uh, you know, favorite books that he had read also. Um, Tim read a sample chapter, but never got a copy. shame, shame. Um, <coughs> yeah, it has a it has a website. It has an audiobook version, which is cool. What's interesting is it's sort of written for it's written for someone who's like maybe anywhere from 10 to 15 years old. It's not really written for you know high functioning intellectuals like us, you know, like all of us that have decided bagpipes are exactly. what we want to do, uh, you know. So it's not necessarily written written for the uh, you know the aristocracy of intellectuals. That we represent here at Dojo U, but it, it doesn't matter. It's super cool. One of the things that uh, one of the things that he goes into early on in the book is how, um, you know, if you, um, you know, if you have to practice or if you don't enjoy practicing, then you're not actually practicing, right? So en- enjoyment is actually a prerequisite or a fundamental element of practicing. So how many, how many people out there, you know, uh, when it comes time to practice, are you kind of like, Ugh, I don't really feel like practicing today. Um, you know, and uh, Victor Wooten's point in the book, which, by the way, it's not, it's not really a uh, book where he's teaching you. It's more of a story. But the point in the book was, if you're not looking forward to practicing, then you shouldn't practice. Right? It should, you should only be doing things that are fun and exciting and that you enjoy. And uh, and I think that's why kids learn things so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and have you ever been? And Vin, maybe if you were when you were a kid, did your parents ever give you crap because you didn't practice enough? Yes. Mine yes. gave me. See, I, I mean,
1: that stopped because they didn't get it. <laughs> so I was kind of on my own that way. But I played clarinet and I played guitar, and that they were always on me about practicing. And yeah,
0: totally. Yeah, and see the thing the the thing was, I mean, my parents never gave me crap because I think they sort of could see what was going on. That, that piping was sort of constantly on my mind, even if I wasn't practicing. And, um, you know, you learn, you know, when you, when you learn, it's when you're having fun, I think. Or when something really interests you, you know, and which is why when you, when you learn math, right? It's like word, word problems are so much more important and so much more fun than the, than the practice that you have to do. It's like the only way you're going to enjoy doing the math problems is if you can visualize how it's going to apply, you know, how you're actually going to be able to use that skill. And the same goes for, you know, uh, the same goes for all sorts of other things. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the really cool things that Victor Wooten gets into in the music lesson is, by the way, uh, the way you think you have to learn music is completely incorrect. And by the way, well, you know, and the reason it's, it's the, you know, the best book about music I've ever read. And it's one of the only books about music I've ever gotten all the way through is because, um, it sort of validated my own beliefs about piping. You know, um, I had come to a lot of the same conclusions and what's cool about the book is it really assembles it all in like, you know, and, and again, it's one of those hundred pages. It's not very long, right. um, but it sort of assembles all these beliefs in a really fun story um, you know, with lots of metaphor and stuff like that, and it really, really um, brings together what I think, you know, the true musicians' uh, approach and philosophy is. You know, should be when you approach anything
1: musical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bruce says, yeah. as a beginner, his parents had to tell him to stop practicing. <laughs> right, was exactly a joy, which really is it. I, I mean, even you know, even as you get down the wire and with some years of experience, you know, you still have to. You know, you know, people. People. A lot of people don't like practicing mainly because you know they're going to screw up and mess things up while they're doing it. And you know, really, that's just part of the part of the routine. But you have to have fun doing that. You have to be willing to like make those mistakes and you know just just be the piper that you want to be. You know, just like and you have to make noise. It's to me, it's just fun to make the noise <laughs> and get and get it sounding as good as I can get it. You know, and it's just. Uh,
0: I disagree, you know? then. Yeah. I disagree. <laughs> what's what's fun for you is playing the Oranmore material exquisitely. That's, that's what's true. fun. That's None of this noise stuff. Come on. Come on, Vin.
1: Just want to make a lot of noise.
0: Yeah. Some. What's interesting, it's, it's all very interesting, and in, in we see these sort of forces that exist in the world all over the place, right? Is like, all right, now we, we have something, and now we need to channel it and mainstream it, because that's the only way that it's going to be successful. And the pipe band is a perfect analogy, right? So the pipe band is, OK. Uh, guys, forget everything you know about music and just copy what I'm doing, right? That's the usual sort of, um, that's the usual approach to pipe bands. Oh, you know, uh, my pipe manager, he's like the best piper in the group. And so we just watch his fingers. And there's so much more or simultaneously maybe less to it than that, right? Instead, it's like, you know, we need to figure out, we need to figure out what musical ideas we can agree on. And we need to work on on a, you know generating a, a unison or ensemble with each other, you know around surrounding those ideas, and it's actually you know it's an agreement that goes on, right? And it's not a matter of someone copying someone else. Uh, I, this is this is definitely why, or and more, you know why our pup section has been so successful, you know in the past few years is because you know we we very uh, you know uh, we're very careful to make sure you know, that's what we're focusing on, right? Is we're focusing on developing these musical, um, you know, these musical I mean, concepts
1: the in a You know, the orchestra's, they're not watching anybody play. They, they're watching the conductor, but at the same time, they, they have their own music right. they are going to make, you know? And, uh, they're not, they, there's nobody's fingers they're watching. There's nobody's, you know, foot or anything like that. they got the conductor's baton that just sort of keeps them on track. And that's it. And, and the ideas you're talking about come from him or her or whatever. Um, and, you know, they're established before you hear that performance, and that's what they've been working on. You know, how do we, how do we get around this idea for this piece, and, and this, is, this is the product we want to produce.
0: It's one of, and we have this, like, we have this temptation to sort of streamline it, like this is how you do it. And granted, you know, fundamentals are really, really important, right? But, um, but there's so much more to it than that. Anyway, I, I don't know how I ended up on this tangent other than to say uh, the music lesson is really, really cool, um, and it really sort of – uh, it, it'll really help you sort of visualize how you should actually be thinking about piping right it's not a plus B plus C plus D uh, paint by numbers well, equals
2: bagpipes
1: you, you were talking about all kinds of different books you know um you know 30 40 years ago 50 years ago you know pipers there you know they, when they thought about piping it was like some other thing and then when they read books it, it would apply to other things you know and even if it was applying to music you know it wasn't applying to piping wasn't, you know even if we were reading about music, it was not about piping. Piping was some other creature thing that we did or had its own rules and you know yeah, it didn't I really. That,
0: I think that belief still exists in the world. It's, it's exactly what uh, you know what I started the dojo to sort of um, as a reaction against, right I, I reject that belief wholeheartedly that piping and music are two separate things. And, um, you know, regardless of I mean, sure, everyone's like, yeah, of course, Andrew, of course, piping is music. But what's weird is, you know, even if you agree with that, a lot of us still buy into uh, some some of the preconceived differences that exist between bagpiping and music. And there are no differences. That is my that is my argument. Right. There is no difference between piping and music. Hmm. Piping is simply a tool that is used to create music. And uh, and there's definitely uh, a contingent of, of, um, you know, the sort of majority contingent still suggests that, well, you know, piping is very similar to music, but there are a lot of differences between piping and music, and, and, uh, you know, we need to reject that idea wholeheartedly. And we just need to say, okay, in these these areas where piping doesn't seem to pertain to music, uh, we need to check our premises there because um there are no there are no contradictions yeah
1: and which, and once you accept that, you can actually go out and you sort of apply all the different kinds of information, whether it's about music or about something else, like you know psychology or anything else, and apply it to your own piping and your own music yeah. and, uh, and and I, I
0: did that a lot I did that a lot, you know in uh, with my two albums that I made, you know, um, it wasn't so much about whether or not I could sound like Stuart little for seventy minutes because uh, I knew that probably wasn't going to happen, but you know, um, I, I accepted at a, you know pretty early stage that there is no difference between piping and other music, and what that allows you to do is you say, okay, you can listen to different forms of music and say, wow, that was really cool. Uh, I want to, you know, let's try and achieve that musical effect using the bagpipes. Can it be done? And in many cases, the answer is yes. Or, or what sort of influence can I draw from other forms of music that are relevant? Um, and that's how, you know, and by the way, that's totally what the best pipers in the world are doing. If you listen to Stuart and Angus and, you know, Willie and Jack and all that kind of other, th- you know, all, all those types of players, right? They're clearly, and, and sure, what they're drawing from in many cases is not, you know, hugely dimensional. But, you know, uh, Stuart and Angus especially, like the Scottish folk scene, they're drawing from that. And they're drawing from it really successfully. And they're picking up those things that really work, and you know, sort of subtly, uh, they're sort of subtly there in everything that they play.
1: Mm-hmm. Anyway, I digress. enough, the folk scene is actually doing the opposite. You know, they take a lot of music from the bagpipe repertoire and, and just sort of take it and reshape it and throw it out there in, in a it. new form. You know, it's
0: usually shaped in a way more entertaining way than we do. I mean, again, it's arguable. It's that's an opinion, but they're able to shape it in a different way, and I think it's because they, as as a culture. You know, understand and apply a lot more musical technique than we than we manage to do. Obviously, with certain exceptions, right? Like your Fred Morrison's and your Angus's and your Stewarts. Okay, well, we got to read some of these chats that have been going in. Players need. Uh, we got to start where we left off here. Set tunes have to be enjoyed by all, or some will not play them well. Uh, not quite sure. Players need to at least like the music they are playing, possibly on different levels, but must be into the tune. Definitely agreed. A lot of folks are fo- are fond of nodding sagely and telling me how difficult an instrument it is to play. Interesting.
1: It is. Are these people also are. like tuba players, or are they... Uh... <laughs> Or so they play
0: triangle. Be, Don't you be inferring that the triangle is a difficult instrument? No, I'm mean, saying it's I'm not saying a, okay, a okay, I mean, difficult like instrument.
1: Considered difficult if it depends on the context, you know. Bagpipes definitely are, you know, a lot involve a lot more body motion than most instruments, but um, you know, so it can be considered difficult. If, uh, I guess because we are what, what do we do: we stand and we play, and we're blowing and squeezing all the time, and then uh, and sometimes we walk while we're doing it. Yes.
0: I, I like that's that so less less a, let's a standard answer to those who say the bagpipe is really difficult is nope it's not really right get some lessons learn the technique yeah. practice really hard and then you'll be able to create music
1: that's right
0: I love it no more body motion than trombone in a marching exactly band right. there you go um,
2: actually I well yeah I don't know Marching band is really interesting. I don't know that I could play an instrument and do all that fancy marching. I feel like I would probably stumble all over. That's What an interesting thing. is. There Are there any books on that? I'm sure there are. Does anyone know a good
1: one? Maybe not. I, I, the, the, sort of the drum and bugle chord type stuff is like, um, I think it's like piping that way. It's like it's got its own little sort of sphere, bubble, whatever. Um that and it'll all the rules apply within that bubble. But as soon as you go out of it it's like
2: <laughs> it's, like, yeah, Sean says it's th- like a secret club, man. Sean says they get to have the music right in front of them. My problem is That's I true. would be watching the music and tripping all over the field. <laughs> I I I have a sneaking suspicion that they're just using that as a reference as much as anything else because they gotta be paying attention to other stuff. <laughs>
1: Well, that's, I mean, and, 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 that, and that's why, you know, a lot of these bands, whether, whatever kind of genre of music you're talking about, it's like, you know, they, that, that is why you need to draw your inspiration from other places. You know, when we talk about books, it's like, you know, it's not just about reading about bagpipes by Hugh Cheap. <laughs> Good book, though. It's, uh, it's, it's about drawing sort of things from other places that you can, you know, bring it in, bring into your own sort of identity.
0: Yeah. So, uh, next question, Segway. Are there any good books st- about bagpiping specifically out there? And the answer is definitely yes.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I, ba- I mentioned one bagpipes, uh, a national collection of a national instrument. It's a recent one, maybe about five years old, six years old, maybe, uh, by Hugh Cheap is excellent.
0: It's yeah. Anything by Hugh Cheap is really, really cool. Yeah.
2: Uh let me see if I can find them. Come to think of it. I've, I've read a number of books from Hugh Cheap. Um, just he because had a, I did a research project on good. that, and yeah, just, uh, yeah. all of them were very good, and I cannot talk over you, then go ahead.
1: I'm oh, sorry. Um, yeah, it was a, he's got he's had another one. I, I didn't pull that one out actually. It's, I think it's just called the Highland Bagpipes or something like that. It's just a generic sort of touristy water bagpipes kind of book, which is yeah. pretty good. You know, considering I
2: saw cars. that one, but uh, yeah. he's he's written some real in-depth ones yeah. too.
1: Oh yeah, oh well, the, the the one I mentioned, bagpipes, the national uh, collection of a national instrument, it was written through yeah. the uh, National Museum Trust of Scotland or something, and it's it's really good.
0: It's weird there. because it's weird because Hugh Cheap and then um, Donaldson as well, mm-hmm. uh, William Donaldson, um, you know, they're you know both really excellent authors, and what's interesting is in the bagpiping mainstream culture, these books are. Very quiet, people don't really like to talk about it. Uh-huh. many of us many of us have sort of quietly read these books, but we don't really like to discuss it because actual research disproves a lot of what exactly. we think bagpiping actually is, and so um well, yeah. I really like it and and you know it's like, oh well. You know, he's, he's definitely an intellectual. You know, you'll hear people say stuff like that. or It's definitely very interesting, uh, even though it's also heavily footnoted and researched. Right,
1: right, right. You know, he, blows uh, he, does. he blows away the dust and basically, you know, comes up with things that are supported by evidence. And, you know, Hugh Cheap is, it, it, like, the, that book is Ooh, interesting. but it does, it talks about the piping dynasties, right, and all the families that were teaching bagpipes and, and, and goes beyond, like, the ones that we all know and that we've all been learned to revere, taught to revere and uh and basically blows it apart as just those were just one of many that were going on and producing excellent yeah. players and and uh and you know most of the instruments that we play come from a design and he one of the main tenets in, in this book is that he when he talks about highland pipes he said the pipes we play are a modern convention they're not oh, yeah. ancient at all it's like the, the design of the pipes we play was established in the early 19th century and and just caught on among among the competitors and the, and the pipers of the day and, uh, uh, that
2: was that I I dealt with a lot of that on my, my uh research. This is my major research project in, in uh I was a history major in college and I wrote it on on the development of the bagpipes, but way earlier than the modern period period. So I was dealing with um the Middle Ages up to about I think the uh, fifteen or sixteen hundreds. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the design changed significantly within that period, but it still never came. There there perhaps were a few, towards the end of that period, a few sets of pipes with three drones. But, like, it wasn't, that was not the mainstream kind of thing then. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was very, very cool. Well, so mean, when
1: you think about the variety in, in just, that can be introduced by any maker, like in the length of the drone, say, or the, the diameter of the drone, even. Um you know, and, and the different kinds of sounds you could have produced that would have been in fashion um, at the time that would have been acceptable to hear um, you right. know, it was kind of radical what he did I and mean, this was Donald McDonald who, who basically redesigned the pipe and established some sort of convention that everybody followed after that um, you know, even his design was a little different than what we play today you know, it wasn't until like the mid 19th century that its length of say the bottom part of your bass drum was established in length and it's was basically the same size across every set, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Hey, I've got
0: one. I've got one that you'll be lucky ever to find. <laughs>
1: oh, there There's you go.
0: Uh, <laughs> this, this is an interesting read. Uh, and uh, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, this one is written by a fellow named uh, Alistair Campsey. Whoops, got to turn that off. Hold on. Uh, and... Uh, you know, Campsie's stance is basically uh, that uh, you know the art form of Peabrock was sort of, and again, I'm sort of not uh, giving it justice, but uh, that the art of Pebrock was hijacked by uh, the aristocracy and by the Peebroke Society, and that uh, what we um, what we should actually be playing is drastically different from what is actually played. And he has lots of very very interesting arguments uh all which is you know heavily uh, researched and footnoted and uh, it's very interesting and uh you know if you have a P. Brock teacher that you know you should ask them just for kicks you know hey uh what do you think about Alistair Campsey because um you know it's all very interesting my uh our friend uh Matt MacArthur who plays in ormoran you know he he's really into reading all all sorts of different stuff about bagpipes and uh um and again uh, it's all very interesting Coincidentally or not coincidentally, out of print. Um, (laughs) I know. I know. At one point, which actually sort of reminds me that uh, what's what's his website called? Oh, I don't remember. Um, I have to find
1: it. William Donaldson does does alludes to a lot of that too in Piper's in his book Piper's, which is also a great book. Um,
0: It's the Piper's Press. Yes, it is. What's interesting is um, it's a very strange sort of... uh, It's on Amazon Kindle.
2: Ooh, really? Yes. Ooh,
0: that's amazing.
2: Ooh, I'm going to buy that right now. (laughs) Yes, me too.
0: That's cool. Excellent. Uh, Which is brilliant on his part because... Uh, The book has long long been out of print, and um, uh, according to his website, and again, I haven't read it in a while, but apparently, there were like book burnings of this book, like people did not appreciate this book, and um, it's all very interesting, and I highly encourage everyone to read it, just because it's very interesting, not necessarily because I agree with everything in it, although who am I to disagree, I I have not done the research um, that he's done, so...
1: So it's all big. It was a similar reaction to Piper's when they came out. William Donzel was uh, well, thoroughly that's what I mean. reviled by the uh, piping establishment, and uh, you know, just as a know nothing wannabe or something. And uh, you know, and this was well after he was doing his Pebrock series on in Piper and Drummer, on when when that was still going on, and then in Pipes Drums, and, and uh, you know, most most of the Peabrock. <laughs> uh, intelligentsia didn't think highly of, of, of that book because essentially he did the same same thing He loses the same thing about how the pebbrook society basically botched pebbrook in the beginning stages of its formation and uh, and and literally you know rejected things like you know suggestions that they translate the netherland contract for example and and which didn't happen until 100 years later <laughs> you know when they eventually bought angus MacKay's manuscripts you know and uh it was a uh, you know just things like that well documented i guess and again like with research and actual you know you know documents and things like that so
0: yeah. it's very actual interesting research? the uh the Angus MacKay thing is very interesting and and Kempsey uh is convinced that uh, one one thing that's definitely a fact is that uh Angus MacKay is it syphilis yes or something that he had and um, and obviously especially at the time Angus MacKay was alive you know syphilis had very very uh, you know, uh, very, very negative implications on mental health. Um, and, uh, you know, can't, you went crazy, Campsie's argument, yeah, and, and that's sort of well documented, and ultimately, um, I think Angus Mackay took his own life. And again, I'm not an authority, so if I'm getting any of this wrong, um, it's sort of a disclaimer. He the river or something like that and, himself yeah. or something like that. and uh, you know, Campsie's argument is that, you know, uh, Angus Mackay was, uh, you know, assembling many of his manuscripts in very poor um, mental health, and um, you know, and, and with all sorts of strange political influences going on from, you know, from the crown and others that were, you know, sort of influencing, um, <clears throat> influencing well, the sort of resurgence of Brock at the time.
1: Yeah, the, the rumor is that like he was very unhappy with the, when his book was published, um, as you know, the, and the book essentially is pretty much ignored as a source and and it's instead the people society and others defer to his manuscripts as a, as a more definitive source because the book alters a lot the book he, he was you know Angus Mackay was i mean it was one of the things either in the beginning stages of his madness or you know in in, in the middle of it or something like that where he was just like livid with the fact that it was just ruined and it was like he ruined his work and you know had nothing good to say about it you know yeah
0: it's all very interesting i don't know um, you know I don't necessarily have a stance on it. And then for those who are not aware, pibroch is of course uh, what we sort of call now the classical music of the bagpipes, which is sort of an ancient form. And a lot of people think it's a little bit boring, but then uh, you know the enthusiasts were sort of all super into it. And anyway, Angus MacKay uh, was um, a sort of a musical prodigy. Yeah, and he was the Queen's Piper at one point. But Angus MacKay was famous because. You know, he was one of the early people that was very proficient at writing, piping out um, on the staff. And he was also extremely musically talented. And um, uh, he was sort of the first person to take the ancient pibroch sort of culture, uh, you know, other manuscripts and styles. And he sort of assembled it, um, you know, into sight-readable material. And, and that's one of the, the things that is really sort of, for better or worse, uh, mainstream pibroch and made it accessible to the masses. And then the the big argument, right, that exists is whether or not you know Angus uh, MacKay did w- you know w- performed this sort of thing with integrity uh, to the actual original style, or whether or not he took his own style and sort of um, he took his own style and his own ideas about Pbrac and sort of wrote it in. Uh, that's the big debate, um, and of course the answer lies somewhere in between. And uh, so that's sort of what we're talking what we are talking about. It seems a little bit. Crazy, but it's actually very relevant. Um, Angus Mackay also, uh, you know, was one of the first publishers of light music, too. It wasn't just Pibroch. Um, and so, uh, you know, sort of Angus was one of the huge influences on modern piping because he was sort of the first, uh, you know, the first person to really seriously uh, take the Pibroch repertoire and, uh, you know, write it out, publish it. Um, yeah, Sean, I mean, yeah. Talk about
1: the Highland Bagpipe and its music by Roderick Cannon, yeah it's definitely a, that would be a, uh, you know, it's one of those standard books, I guess if you're gonna have a book about bagpipes it's you know the book, I, I've always found it to be pretty, I don't know pretty blase in terms of, or generic in its information you know, uh, its information you basically can find anywhere it's not really, doesn't really highlight, um, I don't know anything interesting, although as Sean says there's a discussion of music and the instrument um, the Discussion of the music does tend to be for, for the layman, would be perfect. Um, saying to talk Lee
0: about, says, Lee says, Can we do more in depth on this on a future dojo universe? And the answer is, uh, if anything, it might have to be a, a paid class for dojo U members, uh, because it, it would require us to hire some people to talk educatedly about it. You know, it would be really, really fascinating. And, and we've longer been and I an have talked speed. a little bit, yeah, it'd be longer than an hour. And um, you know we've had Jack Taylor on before. He's obviously extremely well versed in some of this. Um, but it would be interesting to get some of the really heavy hitters, you know, um, and maybe those with slightly controversial points of view. It'd be great to hear and, and controversial, for lack of a better term, of course. Um, we have actually, you know, I have actually exchanged emails with Alistair Campsie uh, in the past, and. Um, it's all all very interesting. <laughs> at, at, the, at the time, you know, honestly, um, I'm not entirely sure. It was a couple years ago when we exchanged emails, but yeah. um,
1: well, I mean, you know, in in the in Hugh Chief's book, Bagpipes, that uh, the newest one, um, he does make mention, if I remember correctly, that you know, there's a CD with that book that goes into a lot more detail than what's than on what, the material that's in the book itself. You know, so a lot of the notes and a lot of further discussion on the notes and sources and of all the different information that he puts forth is on this C D. So it actually goes into like quite a bit of detail. And one of the one of the things in there is when he talks about the piping dynasties is that, you know, we'd like to we'd like to elevate the McCrimmons as being this sort of magical family that, you know, created bagpiping and Peabrok and all this whole thing and and uh you know, but at the same time, you know, he cheap uncovers all these records that show, you know, McCrimmans living all over central Scotland. <laughs> you know? Like so it wasn't like there was this you know magical family that was living in the North Scotland and came from somewhere else, like one of, the, one of the stories is that you know the first McCrimmon came from Italy and all this other stuff and you know
0: no, there's a lot of different theories and stories yeah, and, and the bottom so, line is the bottom line is i think I think uh, modern pipers have sort of lost interest in the actual you know what the truth is because it 's so hard to establish what it is, oh, yeah. and I think we sort of all we sort of all become uh, you know, taken by this magical legend. It's sort of, and then, and then the question is, well, you know, uh, is the legend maybe more useful than the truth? I think a lot of people would argue that.
1: Well, you think I think I, I like to think about it. Like one of the things about all of these books, and when they delve into these kinds of topics, is is, is it really uncovers what you believe to be the, the truth or the factual, uh, which is Piper's then kinda of act like pipers now. Like we all are kinda of the same people with the same playing the same instrument and and we probably interact with each other the same way. So, you know, we do the same thing, you know, when we think about British Columbia and SFU and their, you know, their community of piping out there, right? And we sort of elevate that as some sort of magical little pocket of excellent piping and you know Yeah. And
0: it is pretty magical. Well, we'll
1: think about it. And, and and you know, and we do the same we can do the same thing. You can pick these areas. I mean go back 400 years, 500 years, and those were the piping dynasties, right? Those were the
0: MacArthur's in yeah. the years. I, I, uh, I think where you're going this is, with this is partially true. I mean, one of the things that I think is true, and it's not just British Columbia, but one of the things going on in British Columbia, in, you know, in my opinion, is I think that they are light years ahead of what other communities are doing. Uh, you know, uh, that, that community is such a hotbed and it's so focused on real music making. Um, at one time, Ontario was arguably that way. And then certainly like Northern Ireland is arguably that way. And, and lots of other little hot pockets. You could say, some people would say on a smaller scale, Albany, the Albany sort of region of New York is, uh, is or has been perhaps uh, something like that as well. And what's interesting is yes, so what, and I'm sure something similar was going on at the time. Something up there, right? There were like McCrimmons and MacArthur's, and people up there were playing at a really high level. It's probably light years beyond anything else that was going on. And so I think it developed a reputation. Yeah. And then after the fact, because there was no real documented mm-hmm. history, it started to become embellished and overdone. And
1: and it was in the overlap wasn't as apparent I mean, you don't get as much contact as you do today right like so we can we can go to british columbia <laughs> we can meet those people and we can you know play with them and do stuff like that and you know you didn't do that 500 years ago i mean that you just had the 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 myth you know the image of what that was to go on and that's all you had to go on you really didn't. and maybe you uh, you know you were somewhere and you saw one of the McCrimmons play you know and uh and, and that was, you know, and you had that, that reputation to back it all up. So that it almost didn't matter what happened. <laughs> you know, you saw one of the McCrimmon's play, you know. And uh, so, that's, so those, that's why it's so long-lived, really. Um, I think that, that kind of impression about all these piping dynasties is that, is that we didn't really have anything to go on, you know. Now we have YouTube and CDs and recordings and workshops and all kinds of stuff that we Used to sort of validate our, our reputation, the reputation and the opinion we have of these people. You know, if they're able to hold it up, then it becomes more real, I guess, I don't know. You
0: know. Sean Campbell asks, would Barnaby Brown ever be willing to do a show with you folks? Uh, wow, that would be awesome. That
1: would be cool. Uh, we, should,
0: uh, we, should, we would love, okay. we would obviously love to do that. Um, a- again, um, I'm not sure whether or not um, Mr. Brown would be willing to do it for, uh, for free. And, of course, that would depend, but, um, but yeah, I mean, we'll definitely, let's look into this, man. Let's see, um, yeah, you know, the, we should call it the controversial alternative history you know, he, of bagpiping.
1: He, 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 I don't know if anyone's had, uh, has um, the CD he put out with uh, Alan McDonald, uh, Dastrum, it's called. And Ooh, it's, a, it's, really amazing. it's great. Oh, yeah, great CD. And it's, and, but, it, you know, it's not your... Papa's p brock CD, you know, and it's and it, and it was, you know, again like ignored by the establishment, you know. It was basically uh, you know, the silence was deafening. And, you know, basically so it, by ignoring it, it went away, but it still managed to like sell out or something like that. It was
0: Yeah, um, I'm trying to find somewhere I have the intro to di uh to Dystrom, like the PDF sort of thing. Uh like the line notes kind of thing. Yeah, is it still here? Oh, brilliant. Yeah. So check this out. We can go back to the regular video. So here's another – this is not a book, obviously, and it's from their CD. It's uh, sort of like a and,
1: book CD package is when he released it. It's in the same form as uh, A Living Legend with Donald McPherson. That was the same kind of, yeah. kind of package.
0: That's a phenomenal sort of 10- uh, or 15-page read. Um, really, really interesting about how sort of competitions have shaped, uh, have shaped the bagpipe world. Um, it's very, very interesting. Anyway, uh then, before we end up talking until two, uh what do you say we wrap it up here and uh let people let people get on with their day and
1: and blow out their credit cards on Amazon to go filling up their libraries with good books.
0: Yeah, don't spend too much on books
2: because then you won't spend on bagpipe supplies. Yeah, today's episode <laughs> was brought to you by Amazon. <laughs> Where you can get all your books. I'm I'm completely kidding, but <laughs> yeah,
0: Amazon is a major sponsor. They, yeah, no, they're not.
1: Yeah, do a quick search on bagpipes on Amazon, and you're gonna be like, you know, you it's like a big yawn. Yeah, that's why the, the links for the, the direct links for these books is is good because otherwise you'll never find them. You have to go yeah. through like the church piper and
2: and 200
1: an of Highland I don't even know
2: and 200 listings of 200 dollar pipes. <laughs> Exactly. <sighs> yes.
0: We just don't want you to know that there are pipes you can buy out there that are only $200. $200. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, by the way, we're, for anyone who thinks we're being serious, we're not. Do not buy a $200 set. No,
1: no. Unless you're making lamps. <laughs>
0: yes. Lamps, wall
1: ornaments. Exactly.
0: Anyway, folks, that's going to do it for today. Thanks very much for tuning in in and uh, we of course will uh, see you next week same time same place slightly different yet extremely uh, equally as exciting topic and there's uh, some good uh, reading ideas we'll see every we'll see you later everybody